want to say a special good morning to those of you who are watching in Nickel Hall. And also a special good morning to all of you. My name is Lyndon. I'm one of the pastors here at Central Heights. And um, I'm always excited about the fact that when I plan what I feel like God's called me to speak about, I see stuff in the worship songs and stuff which I go, okay, God, you're in this. So it's pretty cool. I can't stop talking about it. Last Sunday night, I was sitting at home. I was looking for something to do. We didn't have Alpha because we'd had the retreat on the weekend. And so I was going, okay, here's a chance for me to watch something that I knew was out but I hadn't seen yet. It was a story of a, of a middle-aged man, middle-young-aged man, if I call myself middle-aged and younger than me, named Alex Honnold, who had climbed Yosemite National Park's El Capitan, the free rider route, Big deal. Without ropes. In less than four hours. 3,200 vertical feet. The heavens declare the glory of God. So does that mountain. But I wouldn't climb it. Not without ropes. So I decided, they, they put this into a movie. Who climbs a mountain without ropes and then makes a movie about it? So... On June 3rd, 2017, they made this movie. And as I watched, I was amazed at what was going on in my body. My heart rate was going up. I'm sitting there in my recliner chair watching this guy. And I'm looking and I'm going, are you out of your mind? There's this one time he's walking around and he's up there and he's got his one thumb jammed against this tiny little granite piece. And he's got to cross over his feet. He's got to transfer his weight. He's got to bring his body in and he's got to do this big karate kick against another wall and climb up. And I'm sitting in my chair. First thing that's happening, I'm noticing for 20 minutes straight, my hands are sweating. I'm sitting in my rocking chair and my hands are sweating. And as he goes past that, that was one of the most crucial parts, he looks at the camera and goes, fall, yeah, and keeps going up. When he gets to the very top, he's sitting there like a little boy, taking off his climbing shoes. I'm so delighted. <laughs> You're just nuts. But anyways, the thing that I found interesting was the story also brings us into the heart and the mind of his girlfriend. And there's one point just afterwards where he's sitting there and she calls him. And I can just imagine what it would have been like for her to walk away from that and then to hear that he made it and for her to have that feeling inside, he's alive. And there's these teary moments and he says, oh, but by the way, don't tell too many people because obviously he wants to let it come out because it's a movie and all this kind of stuff. He's telling her, don't talk about it. Are you out of your mind? I can't stop talking about it. So if you know me, I've been talking to people. Have you seen Free Solo? Have you seen Free Solo? And he did this and I was sweating and all that stuff. I can't stop talking about it. In Acts chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, there's another situation like that. Two of Jesus' disciples have been at the temple. They've experienced the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now they are taking it to the temple. The religious leaders are watching. A man lame from birth comes up to, or is laying there, says, can you give me some money? 
They say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I'll give you, uh, what I have I will give you, rise up and walk. Well, the religious leaders for some reason don't like that. They're intimidated by that. People are astonished. And what does Peter do? He seizes the opportunity to say, Jesus did this. So the religious leaders, instead of celebrating, they call them in. Naughty, naughty, naughty. Peter's response, because they're told by the religious leaders, you're not allowed to do this. Do not talk about Jesus anymore. The religious leaders call Peter and John in. Peter's response, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, we can't stop talking about it. How did they get here? Well, let's look back on that story, okay? Now, for those of you who have grown up in the church, this might be a very familiar part, but I want to go through it quickly. Think about all the crazy stuff the disciples experienced and witnessed. Jesus has been traveling, teaching, healing, casting out demons. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says. This is going to be great, the disciples are thinking. But then, there's conspiracy. Judas, one of Jesus' closest 12, agrees to betray Jesus, turn him over to the religious leaders. That's got to hurt. And then there's this prediction. Jesus is meeting with his disciples and he says, he makes this shocking statement. They will all desert him. Who, me? I would never do that. And then there's a rest. There's a mob, a kiss, an ear gets lopped off and reattached. A couple of trials, a denial, a suicide, a vicious beating, more mocking, a crown of thorns, and finally a crucifixion. Just think about all the stress points that are in that. But it's not done. An earthquake. Rocks split apart. Midday darkness. Tombs open. Resurrections. Yes, that's in Matthew. People walking around the town who have been dead. A, bur a burial then. And then the question, well, what if the disciples steal the body? So guards get posted and the tomb gets sealed just in case. Some women go to visit the tomb. And then another, another earthquake. And an angelic appearance. A very large stone gets moved. The guards hit the deck. And I love this part. When the angel talks to the women, don't be afraid. Like, have you just seen all that's gone on here? There's an angel standing in front of us. Don't be afraid. They've been through a lot. They've seen a lot. And I can imagine it's kind of this mixed bag of emotions. What was their reaction? Well, the angel said, he's not here for he has risen. Come see the place where he lay. And then he says, then go quickly and tell the disciples. Now, if that's you, what is your reaction in that, 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 those days? Those have been stressful days. What did they do? They departed quickly from the tomb with fear. I think there's probably going to be fear in that. And great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples, he's alive. After all that stuff, he's alive. What an incredible mix of emotions. But wait, it's not done. On the way to tell the disciples, what do they do? They run into Jesus. Now what would that have been like? You know how you're going for a walk and you see somebody there, hey. No. It's like... Is that you, Jesus? 
confusion, disbelief. Am I seeing things? Is it really you? Dumbfounded or even this sense of sheer wonder. What is going on? And what does it say they do? They ran to him, grasped his feet, and they worshipped him. The natural response, folks, to experiencing Jesus and his power when it's at work is worship. To stop and remind ourselves and to remind him that there is none greater than you. I surrender to you, lead. But you know what? There is another natural response. Worship, yes, but it's also said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there you will see me. The natural response to experiencing Jesus' power and his work is to tell others about it. I just can't keep from talking about it. So that is what these women did. They simply went to Jesus' disciples and told them what happened. But let's keep reading. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, natural response, they worshipped him. After all that they had been through together and after all Jesus had taught them, the times he talked to them about his coming kingdom, after seeing those hopes literally brutally smashed by Jesus' crucifixion, seeing Jesus alive must have been simply overwhelming. Try and imagine that. Don't miss the moment. Like this isn't just an everyday common occurrence. Jesus? For some, the natural response was worship. Full acceptance, full surrender. Hey, I don't fully understand how this happened, Jesus, but I'm in. I worship you, Jesus. But look again at the, bo- at the bottom of 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. That's a very natural response. How many of you feel like that might be you? Honestly. <laughs> the rest of us would have gone, oh, this is great. But some doubted. And, and folks, honestly, I think, I think that we would ask these questions. Is this really true? Do I believe it enough to want to give myself fully to this? Am I seeing things? Do I believe this enough to set the direction of my life to follow Jesus, this resurrected Jesus and what he teaches? Do I believe this enough to go public like three of our young people will do in our service, in the second service at 11 o'clock? Do I feel this enough that I'm willing to go public and make that declaration? For those of you who are in the place where you might be on occasion or once in a while or all the time, the ones that doubted, I want to encourage you to be authentic. I think it's important. Be honest about it. When I was in Bible school, one of my profs said, you know what, I'm probably in for a good doubt every three, four months. That's my prof. He teaches this stuff. But he said, what I want you to do, and he actually gave us this as an assignment. He said, I want you to start a living document. Call it a personal apologetic. What is that? It's something that gives, writes down the reasons that begin the process of satisfying you for why you believe what you do. It's always being updated, revised, reviewed. And as you work through those doubts, it gives you something to go back to, like an anchor. Why did I believe this? 
Oh, yeah, I should go back to that. So let me say it to you this way. Write it down. Write it down because there's going to come a day for most of us, I believe, where we will struggle with doubts. Last week, two weeks ago, pardon me, Jesse talked about it. He said, there are intelligent reasons from history, science, and scripture to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But we need to do the digging. So may I encourage you, are you honest in your search for answers? Are you relentless? Are you writing them down? Are you asking the hard questions? It's okay to doubt. Be honest about it. Be honest in the search. If we go to verse 18, right after that, maybe in response to those doubts, maybe just as a declaration, but Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, everything I have said and done has been validated by my resurrection. All that talk about the kingdom, it's here. You thought my death was the end and the death of my kingdom, but no, it's not the death and end of my kingdom. My death and resurrection is the culmination of it. It is finished. The punishment has been paid. My death has defeated death. My kingdom has been established and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in your honest searching, can I encourage you? Are you willing to pray a simple, sincere, open-minded prayer? Jesus, show me in ways I can understand that you are the ultimate authority, the king the only one to trust with my life. Change me and others around me in ways that demonstrate your power. Or like this. Show yourself to me in practical ways that you are so powerful that I can't stop talking about it. That's an honest and sincere prayer. And I believe God will answer that. So what next? Right after verse 18, it says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Probably some of the most familiar verses to those of us who have been in the church a long time. And we know that we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we know that we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, like we've been learning about these last three, four weeks. And we know that one of the ways we express this love is to not stop talking about it. We should be talking about it. We should be sharing about it. We should be telling the story, give a reason for the hope that we have. And we know that we've been invited to partner with Jesus in walking with people as they discover that hope for themselves. To make disciples. I don't know about you, but I think most of us want to become a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus. We would love to see more baptisms, to see people follow Jesus and grow deep roots in their faith. We'd love to see people become healthy, healed from past hurts, fully confident that they are dearly loved, forgiven children of God. And in turn, we'd love to see them leading others to that same place. And honestly, I wish I was in the place where I just can't stop talking about it. But sometimes I'm not. And I'm like, ah, oh, that, that, that induces some really gross feelings inside me. When you tell me the Great Commission, I get this sense of awkwardness and, ooh, it's hard and I'm kind of discouraged. And maybe it's scary and I don't, I don't know if I want to talk about it for fear of what people will think of me. I might be overwhelmed or I might feel really guilty. So today I thought rather than going through that passage 
and telling you all the things you should do, I thought, let's be practical. Let's just hear some stories from people. Real life stories of what God is up to, how Jesus is partnering with ordinary people to make disciples. So Doug, Doug Penner, come on up. There's a microphone right here. And I've asked four people to just come and share just a little bit. So Doug, you work for a global miss missions organization. Uh, why do you do that? And have you seen God make more and growing followers of Jesus through you? Yeah, so I work for Multiply, uh, which we support a bunch of missionaries from Multiply. You see them on the screen every month. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I, I would say my motive for joining, like all of us, is, you know, we're trying to obey God and do what God calls us to do. But the, the way that that works kind of day to day is God's love keeps me going. So, and it's an experience of his love, not just a knowledge of his love. So his love keeps me on the Great Commission. When we were worshiping earlier, uh, we get to that Holy Spirit, you are welcome here moment. And I just feel like my knees go weak in the presence of God. And he just, he lifts me up and tells me I can stand. And he keeps me going from day to day. Because sometimes it gets difficult and uh, I have to remember those experiences of God's love. I just can't keep going. So... Uh, you know, I try to lay down my life and just follow Jesus into what he's up to, which is mostly about what Lyndon's been preaching. Um, how have I seen this working? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so uh, my job with Multiply is, um, is we're working in a um, bunch of countries, and my job is to kind of see what the church is up to, what God's doing in these countries, working with the leaders in these countries, understand what the strategy is, and then figure out how we can join together to do this well. So we have really been intentional about partnering with the church, both here and there. Uh, this is, uh, in the more and growing thing, we've uh, doubled the amount of nations we're in in the last two years. So we're in 65 nations and uh, working with 78 uh, national partners. And um, uh, yeah, let me just tell a story. So I'll tell a story from here. So you saw the La Cantera uh, church project. So this is fairly common. Church is sending out teams and trying to create partnerships. So what we try to do is get on the other side of that and say, okay, how do we make this go well with the leaders in the country? So I heard about Tonio, the pastor, about a year ago. So I invited him to uh, our Latin America gathering. We have about 70 missional leaders from our MB conferences in Latin America. And uh, so our church actually paid for that. His flights, he joined us in uh, July in Paraguay. And uh, I introduced him to our leaders for Latin America, and we discerned this guy is making disciples. Like, this is fantastic. This guy is outstanding, actually. So, uh, so then, but he's stuck in a senior management position at a job. So how do we free this guy up to keep church planning? He's already got two on the go, and he could do way more if he was somehow free. So, um, you know, then we work with the Mexican MB Conference, which is struggling right now. So that's not a good vehicle for him to kind of get launched from. So... But then we know this other guy, Jose Mahina. So he's planted about 20 churches in Mexico, and he's looking for a family to join. He's just kind of accidentally planted these churches, and he wants to join something. He specifically wants to join the MBs, and we've known him for several years. So now I'm trying to put together the deal. Could Jose join the family, which is better for his 20 churches? Could the Mexican conference be strengthened by an apostolic leader like Jose? And then could Tonio join, you know, work for Jose and be freed from his job, which would include our church probably helping participate in that. 
And then I've arranged uh, for a partnership workshop for our church to understand that the missions trip, you know, that they're on these four days or the youth group, it's not really about the missions trip. It's actually about a partnership between churches where Central Heights actually gets to have, you know, support a church planting movement in Mexico. So my job, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of one, one person I've led to Christ overseas, like I'm struggling, you know, like okay. at a personal level. Uh, but... You know, we each just get to play our little role, so I set up meetings and stuff. That's my job. That's right. And so, so thank you, Doug. I appreciate that. Because what I'm trying to help you understand, folks, thank you, yes. And April, come on up while, while I'm talking here. I want you to understand that some of us think that being involved in God's ministry means that we're going to be out there sharing all the time. But you know what? There are behind-the-scenes things that happen that each one of us can contribute to depending on what we have in our toolbox. And that's part of making more and growing. But it's God that works through us. God works through Doug. God's a, Doug's a prayer. He didn't talk about that, but Doug's a prayer. April, you are not a passionate person at all. <laughs> you are a passionate person. And what drives your passion to make disciples? And how have you seen God make more and growing followers of Jesus through you? Well, Doug kind of stole my answer already. Um, but I would say... Just looking at my life and reflecting a little on why I'm excited to see people come to know Jesus and to follow him, it's a reflection of the work of the Holy Spirit in my own life and how I have experienced freedom in Christ and the invitation to journey with him and to walk through life with him. And um, yeah, I've been overwhelmingly blessed by community in my life that has come alongside me and continued to affirm the work of the Spirit in my life. Um, but also to spur me on in reading God's word and sharing my faith with others. And as I look at how that's produced fruit in my own life, God's given me a great passion to see how that can actually be multiplied through my life in the lives of other people. Um, how has that happened in my life? Yeah. It's been an example. amazing journey the last few years working with Multiply, actually with Doug. Um, I've had the opportunities to go overseas to both Middle East and Europe. And to share a little glimpse of this past fall in Lithuania... I got to work with a young church plant in a country that is extremely dark. Um, it's the suicide capital of the world. And they've just been a place that's been under a very oppressive regime for many years. Um, but there's a new church. There's a rising generation of young believers that are coming to know Christ. And they need mentors. They need role models. They need people to come alongside them and to affirm the work of the Spirit in them. Uh, so this fall, as I was serving in Lithuania, I'll share the story of one friend. Her name was Karolina. Young girl, born in Lithuania, grew up, um, struggled with mental health most of her life, in and out of hospitals, depression, um, wanted to commit suicide, ended up getting mixed up in some witchcraft and occultism and was seeking God. She was really seeking truth. And she met a group of Mormons who invited her into their community, um, but still was not satisfied. And this last year, um, some of the believers from this church I was at invited her to Alpha. And she had an incredible encounter with the living God. Um, and so this fall, I got to walk alongside this friend uh, and disciple her and watch her be set free from ties to her past. We got to read scripture, scripture together. We got to pray together. Um, and as the Holy Spirit has been at work in her life, this is now being multiplied through Carolina to touch so many other young Lithuanians. Um, and she is so bold in her faith. And sometimes I feel like the role God has given me is to come alongside young women like this and to just champion the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, just as others have done for me. Yep, great. 
Did you notice that? Walk alongside. Thank you, April. One of the things that I noticed as I studied this week, yeah, Tim and Doreen, come on up, is that Jesus didn't call us to make converts. He called us to make disciples. So April, when you say walk alongside, folks, that's what God's called us to do. It's not walk down the street, although we can do this, walk down the street, share the gospel with someone, walk away, got a notch on my belt, great. It's like when they give their life to Jesus, all of a sudden it's like, hey, the work's just begun. But the excitement has just begun. Tim and Doreen. Okay. Not everybody gets to go overseas. You, yeah. you guys oh, grew up overseas, or you grew up overseas. I did. But my question is, you guys both love Jesus. I know that. You have a passion to see more and growing followers of Jesus. And one thing I know you do, especially you, Doreen, is you feed people. What does going and making disciples look like for both of you, especially on Sunday, Sunday afternoons, and what motivates you to do this? Yes. She feeds people, including myself. But she, she belongs to uh, a, a line of, of people, including Eva, Daniel, and her sister, Evita, who feed people for a purpose because they love people. Uh, I, I was part of uh, Doreen's mom's uh, uh, or hospitality before I met Doreen. And uh, I, won't, I won't blame that on, on her, but it was certainly part of it. So one day, Raghav came into the church door, and he met Peter Hanks, who introduced him to us, and we invited him home for lunch. You want to continue? No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's not a problem, because Doreen has, she's, she's always looking for people to bring home for lunch, so... This is a continuation of that. And, of course, uh, moving back a few years, I was born in India. My, my dad named me Timothy Paul, so the expectations for missions were great. And uh, we both spent some time in India. So we have an affinity for people from that part of the world. So uh, we asked them to come, and uh, then there were more people, his friends and so forth. Uh, and... Oh, here's, here's a story of, of one particular person. Now, one of Raghav's friends, uh, who's not yet a believer, had another friend from Korea who was attending UFB, and they invited them to our place. And unknowingly, they were expecting uh, a baby to be born here in Canada, so they connected with a pastor who is also a believer and willing to share his faith. And through a, a whole bunch of these, these connections, uh, he became a Christian. And so uh, he became part of our Sunday uh, group. And uh, now he's back in Korea. Uh, someone else is continuing the discipling work in their lives. So it's, it's this whole uh, community working together. For me, Sunday morning is kind of like Christmas morning. When we get together and we sit down at the table, I get to unwrap this present and see who's all there. So that's the fun part for me. I just love doing it. And then the really practical side, we just have chai and samosas. For those of you that have lived overseas, you know that serving a guest only chai and samosas 
would be unheard of. When you visit a foreign country, they will spread a 10-course meal out for you, never thinking, just chai and samosas. So for the first month, I would always give a big spiel. I know if your mom were inviting me for lunch, you would get a I would get a 10-course meal. And I'm so sorry, all you're getting is chai and samosas. But I've learned that it's just chai and samosas at our house because it gives me the freedom to invite as many people as need to come. Yeah. And if more people come, we just buy more samosas. It makes it so easy. We make a gallon of chai, and by the end of the evening, it's usually all drunk up. And people have had fellowship and a meaningful time together. Yeah, yeah and to continue the metaphor, and uh, it's what you bring to the table may not be much, but you're bringing something. It's like this big potluck. We all bring something to the table, uh, even if it's just, you know, your, your couple baguettes and your fish, right? And, and Jesus does the work. Uh, Paul talks about uh, to the Corinthians. He says, uh, I watered and no, I planted, Paulus watered, and God provided the increase. Yeah. And then in a few, few uh, sentences later, he says, we are workers together with Christ in his garden. Mm -hmm. Changing the metaphor again. Mm -hmm. And uh, yesterday I was Great. looking and thinking, well, what did Jesus do? Well, he ate with people. He ate with, uh, with outcast people. He ate with enemies. He ate with uh, snooty religious leaders. That's not the people that come to our house. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about eating together that, that expresses grace and acceptance, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Great. Thank you, guys. Love it. Love it. Carol, come on up. Folks, I want you to understand, did you catch that metaphor? Everybody has something to bring to the table. It is not your job to do the dishes, set up all the dishes, cook the meal and everything, and feed them. And every God is at work through the Holy Spirit. But the question is, have we looked in our toolbox? Have we looked in our fridge and said, okay, who, what have I got here? Carol, I want you to share with us something. Because sometimes what ends up happening, folks, we think, we think that ministry happens when you go out and stuff happens. But through a testimony, God can also work. Carol, tell us your testimony, what's going on. So um, I was recently healed from, from some uh, neck and back problems that I'd had for over 25 years. Um, and they had gotten more acute and um, uh, chiropractic wasn't working for me anymore. I got to a point where I was just um, really desperate and um, just cried out to God and said, Lord, there's, there's no hope for me there. I need your healing. I, I need you to touch me. And I just really um, uh, started to believe for healing. Um, and um, one evening uh, after a meeting, um, Jen and Terry Jansen uh, were sharing about um, uh, some healings that they had each received recently and um, 
it was just a marvelous story. Larry happened to be talking to them, and he said, you need to pray for my wife. So um, they did. They prayed for me, um, and I went home, and about an hour later, I just started to feel this um, release and a relaxation in my muscles and joints, and I could tell it was a positive thing. When you have neck and back troubles, you feel uh, things happening in your body, but they go downhill, but this was just release and wonderful feelings, and I just was marveling at the goodness of God to me that he had answered my prayer. Um, and then um, that was three months ago. Uh, three months ago, and I've not been back to a chiropractor since, and that's pretty amazing for me, so, yeah, praise God. Uh, so I thought, gee, I should let my chiropractor know, because I saw him very regularly. He must be wondering what happened to me. So I called him up to tell him about it, and he's a Christian, and uh, he was uh, amazed at my story, really happy for me. Um, but amazed because I was the third person that day to phone him and tell him that they'd received the healing from the Lord. So God's working. God's working. And um, I, I sometimes when I'm standing in service, um, just worshiping and praying, praising the Lord, I just um, imagine the Lord touching people here, someone here, someone there, and healing them because he's, he's with us. And he can do that, and, but we need to be open and believing and yeah. receiving. Yeah, thank you, Carol. Now understand, Carol, thank you. When I asked Carol to share, or I asked Larry through to talk to Carol, that's not her favorite thing to do. But she felt God directly call her to come today and share that. So when God does something, folks, it's not just for us. And that doesn't mean that God is going to heal everybody. Please understand that. And sometimes we have questions about that. I understand that. But when we see God at work, the reason we see God at work is not to hold it to ourselves, but to just talk about it. To not be afraid of what that conversation would look like, but to trust God with that conversation. And in Jen and Terry's case, the, the work of God was just simply to be obedient about praying for her. That's part of the toolbox. So in conclusion... What I want to encourage you to do today is to pray for something I call mom eyes. You guys know what mom eyes are? Have you ever had this situation? Hey, hon, would you go down and find in the, in the freezer, you know, we have an uh, upright freezer. Could you go and find that loaf of bread and bring it up? Okay. I'll be right there. Walk down the stairs. Open the fridge. Yeah, the phone is a distraction. Yeah, I know. I don't see it anywhere. Okay, be honest. How many of you have done that? Guys? <laughs> Do I have to come down there and find it? Folks, sometimes I'm so wrapped up in stuff. I mean, my kids will tell you this. I get up in the morning. Has anybody seen my glasses? Has anybody seen my wallet, my phone? One time I asked where my phone was, it was in my hand. <laughs> Mom eyes, eyes that recognize and are looking for what God is doing. 
how many times do I, because I'm distracted, because I'm not looking, because I don't want to see, am I missing what God is doing right in front of my face? Lord, this is my prayer. Help me to see what you are doing, what you've done, and what you want to do through me. Help me to see what's in my toolbox, Lord. How Jesus has uniquely gifted me and what he is up to. And how do these gifts fit together with what you're doing, Lord. And help me to see the people that you want me to walk with. God hasn't called you to walk with everybody, folks. Be released of that. Because that is overwhelming. But God, who have you asked me to walk alongside? And help me to be able to see what you're doing and join you with my toolbox. And then finally, Acts 24, or pardon me, Acts 4, 29 and 30, we started with, we can't help but telling. What did they do after they were released? Peter and John and the disciples, they were together and they said, they prayed, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, we cry out for boldness. Help us to have mom eyes. But Lord, in and of ourselves, we struggle with boldness. Please, Lord, give us boldness. Not because I have to. But because I can't help but talk about it because I'm starting to see it. That's my prayer for us as a church. Wouldn't it be amazing to see what God will do? Let me join you and let's pray together. God, the last thing I want today is for people to walk away today feeling somehow guilt-tripped because we all wrestle with the commission. Yes, you've commanded that we go, we make disciples, that we baptize, that we teach people. But God, I pray, like Doreen talked about, I pray that it would be like Christmas, that the fear would be removed, that the boldness would be given instead for us to just be able to talk about what we are experiencing. Lord, I pray for those that are in, in, the, in the midst of a good old-fashioned doubt right now. I pray, Lord, that they'd be honest in the search. And you'd encourage them in that. That, Lord, you would see their, their honest desire. And you'd overwhelm them by showing yourself to them in ways they understand. God, I pray for a new rising of your power of your spirit to be at work. And we pray that that would just flow out of our tongues. Because we just can't help stop talking about it. In Jesus' name, amen.